He's already been dead and it's messed with his head. It's John's Post-Life Crisis. Welcome to John's Post-Life Crisis. I am your host, John Johnston, founder and manager of CornNation.com. You're a Nebraska Cornhusker site of hanging on and hopeful that we'll have a football season this year. Today, we're talking with Dr. Tim Coffey, Assistant Professor of Kinesiology at Longwood University in Farmville, Virginia. He serves as Longwood University's faculty athletics representative to the NCAA. Dr. Coffey's teaching duties include biomechanics and civic engagement through sports and exercise, and his primary research focuses on lower extremity injury risk reduction and the role that strength and conditioning plays in this reduction. This episode, we'll be talking about biomechanics, a subject I know absolutely nothing about. How are you doing today, Dr. Coffey? I'm doing great. My uh, spring semester final grades were uh, posted yesterday, so uh, my spring semester is officially done, and now I'm just on to prepping for our summer intern. So I, I have this moment of relief that the spring semester is done. So right now, is, is life seem to like just be continuing on as normal at your university? I mean, as normal as can be? So we are a, Longwood is a small public university. Um, we're about 5,000 students. Um, and it is, Farmville is pretty much what you would expect, Farmville. Um, but it. Um, our students, we went the week after spring break, our students came back to campus, um, and then we shifted online from there. Um, so it was, it was definitely a, a different type of end of the spring semester, um, and dealing with our, our graduating seniors and trying to help them transition to, to moving out because we are a a small university um, we've actually already announced that we're we will do our we will do a graduation ceremony in october um, on campus and most of because most of our students live in the state of virginia um, so most of them will come back and we'll do a full graduation in october well that's that's kind of cool i mean at least you've yeah, I mean, you've got a plan, you've got it set, and it's going to hopefully happen. You know what I mean? Nobody knows what's going to happen in October, but I guess that right. sounds – They, I, I imagine there's a certain level of comfort for them knowing that. Yeah, and in doing – you know, we did a uh, – I did a multiple Zoom-type chat with our, with our seniors and other students, um, and I think they appreciated that piece, and they appreciate being able to – kind of see each other and talk and many of them are headed off to grad school programs and so they may not be able to get back um, but they were appreciative that the university said hey this is something that's important and we we're going to put our money and mouth behind it and say this is what we're going to do all right let's we'll we'll go back to the track which i said we were going to actually talk about uh, we're going to start out with the basics what is biomechanics and what do you study? So biomechanics is a, a great field and it's nice and big. And folks are like, okay, it's got to deal with robotics or it's got to deal with other things. And the simple way to look at it is you break the word down into two frames, bio and mechanics. And so it's from a grand scheme, it's looking at living organisms 
the bio part, and how they move or function mechanically. Um, and so there are biomechanists that look at tree biomechanics and look at um, marine biology biomechanics. Um, I'm not one of those folks, but what we do um, kind of in, in my program is we look at how humans move um, and the idea that we can use basic mechanical principles, you go back to high school physics of levers and pulleys, and we can equate those types of systems to how the body moves um, using muscles and bones and joints um, to equate those same types of principles. So this this obviously applies, you know, I'm a sports guy at sports site. This obviously applies to sports with humans. Yeah. So we do, there's a whole area of sport biomechanics. And the sport biomechanics is interesting because we look at things about how do we maximize performance, but also how do we train people appropriately? How do we, you know, we can look at, you know, the force velocity relationship that a muscle creates and when does it create the most amount of force? Um, we can look at the design of sports equipment. Um, there are lots of folks that are now looking at impacts from concussion and how does that impact, you know, landing mechanics for an individual who's landing from a jump. Um, and those sorts of things and the interaction between it really plays a significant amount into sports and then into sports injuries as well. So, it, wow, the impact from concussion, that has to be a huge, that, has, that in itself has to be a huge issue for everybody right now. Yeah, it, so there was a, a really interesting study um, that University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill put out a couple of years ago um, where they looked at their student athletes who had been cleared from concussion protocol. So they had had a concussion, they went through all of it, they were cleared to return to sport, um, and they found that those individuals that had returned to sport, if I remember the statistic correctly, were, I think, eight times more likely to suffer some sort of lower extremity injury after returning to sport than those athletes who had not sustained a concussion. And that's because um, and they're... So... Go ahead. Well, you're kind of to go to your question. We don't really know why. You know, we think some of it is that the neurons firing and setting off motor units to coordinate movement patterns or processing speed of the brain um, to be able to handle movements and how we move um, could be a whole variety of issues. And so now there are lots of folks who are looking at that as to what is, what's the impact that concussions have on individuals' abilities and movement patterns and all those sorts of things. Wow, that's 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 interesting. That's a whole gob of stuff with its well, I suppose a whole field of study within itself. Yeah. All right. One of the things that uh, I keep hearing, and for me, I've said this on one of our other podcasts is you know you hear about these college football coaches that say they need like a month to prepare for football season. And I'm like the, one of those guys that's like, come on, you know, in my day, we we just got out there and started playing football. I don't see the point of having to have a month just to prepare to put on pads and go play a game. I mean, it may not be perfect, but what's wrong with my attitude 
about just get out there and go play when it comes to these athletes? So I always, when folks ask this question, I kind of um, make a comparison to, hey, there's a charity run that's a 5K that's, you know, in a month. Are you going to go and do any training for the 5K or are you just going to hop off your couch and go run the 5K? And if you hop off your couch and go run the 5K, it's most likely not going to end very well for you. Um, but if you do a little bit of training, even just a little bit, then your body has a chance to, you know, get conditioned to running, to the loads that you're going to place on it, all those sorts of things, and it can respond better, you know, in that month when you go run the 5K versus if you sat on your couch and then hopped off of it that morning, got put shoes on and went for a run. But is there any, when it comes to like football in particular, I mean, is it more damaging because of the, the constant contact? I mean, how does that, is there, you know what I mean? When I'm running a five, well, I guess I am pounding my knees and, you know, you get a certain amount of pounding just from running, but certainly not the violent impact of sports. Is there, does the month allow them to prepare their bodies for actually impact too? Yeah, and that's the the other piece of it. Now, what occurs within that month, you know, is all up for debate. Um, and I think if you put a panel together of five coaches and said, hey, what does this month look like or these six weeks look like, you would get eight different answers. Um, and I think there's a lot of debate about, well, how much contact should there be um, versus is it more conditioning? Is it more strengthening? Is it more neuromuscular training about how your body moves, right? All those things kind of play in. Um, me being more the cautious individual, um, I would veer away from more of the contact. Yes, you're going to have contact. You're going to get folks who are, who are used to it, but it's much more about the cardiovascular training, the neuromuscular training and making sure that folks are are in kind of game shape mentally um, for what they're going to do and and how they handle plays. Um, there's some old adages about if you have an athlete who's too busy thinking, they can't necessarily move as well. Um, the brain has a limited amount of computing speed, and if you have an individual who has to think, okay, what play are we running now? Um, they're not necessarily then being able to physically move at the same abilities if they're just kind of re reacting um, to what they need to do. So one of the other questions we had was, how does inactivity impact sports injury rates? So there's the, some interesting studies that have looked at um, injury rates, and the NCAA has an in, um, surveillance um, program where they surveil all injuries within sports and reported. Um, and there was a study that came out in 2007 that actually found that in the preseason time frame, individuals were three times more likely to get injured than in season or postseason um, based upon their, their exposure rate. And so some of that is if you've just been sitting around right, and you didn't do the stuff that you were supposed to do during the summer, you know, and stay in condition, and then you come back, and all of a sudden you've got two-a-day practices, so you've got increase of fatigue, 
And then you also want to try and gain that starting position. And so you're going to put your all, you know, in that competition for a position. And sometimes you put yourself at more risk in, in doing so. Um, and so we see some of those those injuries kind of occurring from that preseason standpoint. And a lot of it's believed to be kind of fatigue-related or those folks not in shape because they were inactive for a, a period of time. So if we were to do like I would think we should do, we'd see a massive increase in injury rates. Just get out there and play football and, you know, you're kind of a blob compared to what you would be otherwise the injury rates are going to go way, way up. And that's what I would expect. Uh, you know, and it's interesting. So part of a lot of my research is looking at strength and conditioning and the role that that plays in injury risk reduction. Um, and oftentimes when you mention strength and conditioning and you talk about the strength and conditioning coach, if you did a survey of, you know, high school kids and their parents or even college athletes, and you said, well, what does the strength and conditioning coach do? Right. Their first answers are going to be, well, they make me stronger and they make me run faster. Right. There's no emphasis on risk reduction, but a properly trained strength and conditioning person, you know, their primary goal is how do I keep you from getting injured? And oftentimes, the stronger that you are, the less likely you are to get injured. Um, and so that becomes some of the key parts of kind of prepping for athletic competition and what the role that strength and conditioning coach plays is more than just, hey, we're going to be stronger or faster. We're also hopefully going to be less likely to be injured. The stronger you are, the less likely you are to be injured. Why does this strike me? I don't know why that strikes me as I – I guess that's common sense, isn't it? I mean, I go back to playing football – I knew when I play high school when I played high school football and I did lift weights over the summer. Football got be a lot more easy for me. I don't know. I guess the, I was I was thinking that I was thinking you know sometimes it seems like these guys are so muscle bound they can't move well and you know the injuries come in there because they're overworking their bodies or because they're I don't know too too strong and not limber enough. Is that kind of dumb? Well- well, no, it, you know, and it goes back to, um, so my whole interest area in biomechanics became because, you know, I was a high school football player and I injured my knee and I spent way too much time with an orthopedic surgeon and a physical therapist. Um, and what it eventually came out as to what was one of the precipitating factors in my knee injury is that in all of my lifting weights and doing the strength and conditioning, I was doing, you know, growing up, you did squat, deadlift, bench press, you know, those are the activities you did. Well, from a biomechanics standpoint, and we look at what those, just those three activities do, right? Your squat and your bench, um, and, a, you know, or primarily what we look at is kind of handling your anterior side, your front side. There's not a whole lot of what we call posterior chain, which are the muscles that run down your spine, back, hamstring, and calf. Now, your deadlift does work some of that, but not to the same degree that, you know, we talk about doing hamstring curls or doing other types of functional movement and activities. And so just because somebody's necessarily strong, right, you can have somebody who can squat 400 pounds and, you know, 
bench press, you know, 350, and they could still get injured because they're not doing anything on the posterior side. And this is where that the key part is. It's not just about, hey, we're getting in and we're lifting weights and we're getting stronger, but are we strengthening the right muscles? Are we strengthening the right way? And are we teaching the same, the correct movement patterns to go with those, right? It's great that we can squat that, but is your form actually good so that you're, you know, keeping yourself from being injured because you're strengthening the right muscles? So. Is there any like standard from the NCAA or standard across universities for strength and conditioning about like what they're supposed to be doing with their programs? So I guess no standard about what there's no standard about what the programs themselves are. Um, there are some standards about what certifications those strength and conditioning coaches have at the NCAA level. Um, this is where there was a couple years ago when Kent State had a football player who died during practice. Um, and in the investigation of it, they found that the strength and conditioning coach did not have the certification that he claimed to have. Um, and so that's one of the kind of the evidence where the NCA says you have to have somebody in this position who has these certifications. There's not, however, um, to my knowledge, any requirement um, at the high school level. Um, for that, uh, which is actually one of the studies that I did in Virginia, is we surveyed our high school athletic directors and found what certification their strength and conditioning coaches have, um, or basically lack of certification um, of those strength and conditioning coaches, and looked at the differences between urban schools, rural schools, um, and public and private schools. So what they found, I'm assuming they found that, like, you know, I, growing up in Nebraska, everything except Omaha and Lincoln is pretty much rural. And I couldn't imagine that how much, you know, we didn't really have a strength and conditioning coach as much as we had uh, a head football coach and an assistant football coach. And that was it. So, And I would say that that's consistent. I mean, I grew up in a rural part of Virginia, um, you know, and, and our – quote unquote strength coach was an assistant football coach and here's the workout we're doing and you know football is the primary sport that worked with it hardly any other sport got into the weight room um and we're seeing that um, because we also looked at well what sports are using these and we're seeing more and more um you know boys and girls basketball at the high school level using um strength facilities but uh but after football and basketball, it drops off to almost non-existent um, in using that as a injury risk reduction kind of method. All right, I'm gonna we're gonna switch to people. You know, the current environment we have unbelievably more people working at home, and you know, the joke around my neighborhoods or the guys I run into or the guys I talk to is like. Uh, 50% of us are going to be alcoholics. 50% of us are going to be in better shape. And, you know, and then 100% of us are going to be a combination of those two things. So what do you think, what can people do at home that they're not just turning themselves into blobs or, you know, what's going to happen to all these people working at home with their, their health and their problems there? 
Yeah, I mean, I think we're going to see some some significant health challenges. Um, I think between folks who, you know, now you're sitting, yes, you may have been in an office staring at a computer or doing other stuff, and now you're, you know, at home, you might be on Zoom meetings, you're sitting down, you're not having to walk in from the parking lot, you're not walking down to, you know, the water cooler to talk to other folks. And so you do become more sedentary. Um, and I think the one of the biggest things that we see um, that can be helpful for folks is just taking a walk. Um, you know, from a biomechanics standpoint, we look, we oftentimes talk about, especially with elderly individuals um, who tend to be more sedentary, that walking can be one of the biggest key parts to maintaining a healthy life. And some of that is the body operates under a use it or lose it mentality. If you're not using it, hey, we're going to take whatever it is that you have and we're pulling it back in. Um, and that can be from muscle strength. It can be from bone density. Um, you know, we see individuals who are on bed rest and their bone density decreases significantly, and which makes their bones more brittle. They're easier to break. But just getting up and walking um, and the body weight going onto those bones, you load the bones and bone then responds to that loading and it gets stronger. And so just taking walks around the neighborhood, um, walking around your house, around your yard, um, those sorts of things can be helpful from, you know, just a basic strength standpoint, but they're also very helpful. You know, exercise has been shown to have significant psychological benefits. Um, there's also impacts that exercise has been shown to boost your immune, immune system. And these are all basic premises for normal, healthy individuals, right? If you have pre-existing conditions or you have other sort of, of health issues, you know, those are clearly for your doctor to be able to discern. But for your normal, healthy individual, just being able to go for a walk can be really helpful to, to maintain some of that health or not decrease as significantly, right? If you're used to going to the gym three days a week and all of a sudden your gym is closed and you can't get in, okay, well, what can I do to at least maintain some aspect of being healthy um, or finding things around your house to be able to do? Um, we saw some things with our um, – one of our strength and conditioning staff was doing um, a social media campaign with athletes of crazy ways that they were staying physically active. Like, what were they adapting? Um, and so somebody was using, like, a bag of dog food to do some deadlifts with, and other folks were using um, – big detergent bottles as their um, dumbbells to be able to do curls and flies with. Um, so finding other ways to be active can, can also be entertaining as well. Maybe that's a challenge with, you know, a kid in your house or somebody else who's living with you about, well, how else could we do this? Um, okay. So just so we're clear, getting up to go to the fridge and get another beer should not really be considered that great an exercise. Well, I mean, if you walk around the block three times before you go to the fridge, that could be helpful. Um, but, you know, the, the the 10 steps from, you know, one side of the house to the other to, to go to the fridge is probably not helpful to maintaining a healthy lifestyle. <laughs> okay, I did, I did want to ask you, what is civic engagement through sports and exercise? This is a class you teach, right? Yeah, so... Longwood, we revamped our, you know, every university has their general education requirement. Um, 
And so we revamped ours um, three years ago, and we included um, at the freshman level a class we call Citizen 110. Um, and Longwood's mission as a university is about creating um, citizen leaders and individuals who are civically engaged. And so with the Citizen 110 courses, they're in, they were proposed in pretty much every discipline across the university. And so a student can take whichever one interests them. Um, and they're really about kind of a, an introduction to the university and here's how college life works, but it's built around a, a framework of civic engagement and then whichever kind of avenue. And so the one that I created was through sport exercise. And so the premise that we talk about is, well, how do we use sport or exercise to impact communities? Um, and so this can be anywhere from one of the articles that I have them read is about exercise programs with homeless individuals. And what is that impact? What results do we see? And so there's a couple of studies that have been done that have shown, you know, psychological benefits to homeless individuals, um, as well as physiological benefits. But then we also talk about, um, there's a really good book out called The Secret Marathon um, by Martin Parnell. Um, and it's about, um, so Martin is a Canadian and he's a runner. He ran, um, I want to say 250 marathons in a year, um, which, which sounds a little crazy. Um, but it, he then had, it, it sounds a little more than crazy. My God. Okay, yeah, go ahead. Um, Sorry to interrupt but you. he was, and he was, he was doing it as kind of some fundraising and he would go to schools and do it. And then he had a brain aneurysm and almost died. Um, and when he was recovering from it, his wife showed him this article about this marathon in Afghanistan that was the first marathon that women were allowed to run in. Um, and so he then used it as kind of like a fuel to revamp himself and he convinced somebody else to go with him and they did a whole documentary about this um, preparing to go to Afghanistan and then actually running in this marathon with um, some of these women. And these women talked about that they couldn't even go out and run in their street. Like they couldn't run through their neighborhoods. Um, they would be, you know, called prostitutes and rocks would be thrown at them. And so oftentimes they were training, running around their backyard. Um, and so in class we talked about, well, well how, do, how does sport play in? Like what is this being able to go for a run impact, you know, just overall life? Um, and so then the kind of culminating project for them is they have to create a proposal for a project that uses sport or exercise to impact the community. Um, and so what would they do? And so um, I've had a number of them created. I think one of my favorites, however, um, was an individual who was really struggling. And I asked him, I said, well, what are you interested in? He goes, well, I'm interested in hunting. And I was like, okay, well, let's talk about what are some of the, some of the issues that go with hunting, right? Oftentimes, hunters are, come from rural areas. Um, we know that there's issues with rural health. How many hunters don't do anything during the year? And then hunting season comes, and they go climb their tree stand, and they have a heart attack as they climb their tree stand. Um, and he's like, yeah, actually, one of my dad's friends did that. Um, and so he then developed, he said, okay, well, what if we did a free, you know, training 
for hunters pre-hunting season and then is kind of retired for that, they would then donate one of their deer to a local soup kitchen. And so that was his kind of proposal of how we can use sport or exercise to then not only improve hunter's health, but then we can also benefit the, the soup kitchens as well. That's, I, I can relate to that. I mean, I know a lot of guys in Western Nebraska that I'd hunted with that are, you know, people have this attitude toward farmers that they work hard and they're always active and stuff like that. And honest to God truth, there's a lot of them that sit in a tractor for 12 to 14 hour days because these things are so automated yeah. and, you know, when I was a kid, we used to lay irrigation pipe and pick it back up again, and we'd have to walk out and physically change the gates on the irrigation pipe, and it was a lot of physical manual labor. Uh, now they have center pivots, and they push a button. So, you know, the I'm not saying farm people are not active, but I get I get where that kid was coming from. That's interesting. Well, right. I, and I mean, I, I, I use the example, the uh, summer before my freshman year of college, I spent the entire summer uh, digging post holes by, by hand on our, our family farm. And uh, two months into my freshman year, um, my dad bought a post hole auger that attached the PTO of the tractor. And I was like, this is just not fair. Um, so, you know, automation does mean that you're not doing as many things by hand. And, and therefore, you know, not staying in shape and we get older and more obese and and then we have more problems, you know what I mean? Then a right. virus comes along and we have the virus on top of our existing problems and, and America has more deaths because of it, I guess. Uh, is, there, is there anything else that you'd like to talk about that I might have missed? Because I, I know when I read your full profile, you had like 18 degrees. <laughs> No, uh, you know, I wish I had 18 degrees, uh, part of it. And I, you know, I've, I've been fortunate with my um, undergraduate career. It was great that I was able to split, and I did kind of half mechanical engineering and half biology. Um, and then so when I went to grad school, it gave me a, a good kind of prep to be able to take the, the physics piece that we use in biomechanics and then attach it to the anatomy piece. Um, and I think the, the one thing that I will kind of kick off with is you know, a lot of universities have biomechanics programs, um, and we're venturing out. We started a couple of years ago as a American Society of Biomechanics doing National Biomechanics Day, um, generally in April. And so if it's an area that folks are interested in, to check out their local college or university will most likely be doing activities. Um, unfortunately, this year, everybody's got canceled, um, but it's typically the first or second week of April, there's some sorts of activities. Um, I know in Nebraska, you guys have the University of Nebraska Omaha that has a phenomenal biomechanics program. Um, if you're not aware of it, they've got a, a whole building that they just opened. Um, so lots of opportunities to kind of learn more about the field and, and kind of understand all the different avenues that it has. Yeah, I, I saw the uh, mechanical engineering degree and I thought, why, why is this guy... You know, you had the, I mean, mechanical engineers to me are guys that are going to, well, they're very structural oriented. Oh, well, I guess that's biomechanics, isn't it? I did not know yeah. that about the University of Omaha. Huh. Yeah, no, they have a they have a great program there. They're probably one of the top biomechanics programs in the country, um, kind of from an overall perspective. Um, they do some great stuff. 
So where do you see this all going? I mean, let's say the human beings in 50 years, are, they, are we going to be different, longer living? I mean, are we going to have, well, you know, I'm a sci-fi guy. We we attach things to our bodies, not like the Borg necessarily, but, you know, right. augmented well, I mean, technology. There's some great stuff coming out um, with like exo, what are called exoskeletons. Um, and so exoskeletons basically kind of go around certain parts of the body um, and they provide mechanical assistance, um, so to speak. So if you're lifting, you know, you're working in a warehouse and you're lifting 50 pound boxes all day, that wearing one of these exoskeletons will help you lift it up. So instead of it feeling like 50 pounds that you're lifting, it feels like it's 20 pounds that you're lifting. Um, and so I think we're going to see more and more of those. Um, play in. Um, and there's a lot of debate about whether, well, if we wear an exoskeleton, will it just make us weaker, right? If we don't have to lift those. Um, and a lot of it would depend on, you know, how much, right? If the exoskeleton was doing all the lifting for you and you were just pressing a button, then you are sort of like the farmer sitting in the tractor all day and you're not going to do anything. But if the exoskeleton just reduces that weight from 50 pounds to 20 pounds, then you're still lifting 20 pounds. And so the muscles are still, you know, working. And so you're not necessarily going to see that muscle disappear, but you're also probably not going to get the same overuse because they're not being overworked picking up 50 pound boxes um, on a regular basis. And I, I think as, as humans, we do a good job of, um, constantly pushing the limits of what our body can do, um, whether that's running marathons or lifting or, you know, we're going to do the weekend warrior stuff in our backyard, you know, all those sorts of things. I, I think the, the human spirit is not going to change significantly um, to make those things not happen. Oh, the exoskeleton sounds pretty cool. I hope, yeah, you there know. are some really great stuff with, with those going on. And, and some of it's also been done, um, like there's a lot of kind of dual research with military branches um, in doing, like, how do we offload some of the rucksacks and landing from, you know, parachuting, those sorts of things that we can utilize kind of exoskeletons to help decrease decrease the loads on the human body to help prevent whether that's overuse injuries or acute injuries or anything across the board. That's cool. Okay. Is there, I said this once before, but anything else that we should add? You think? Not that I can think of. Okay. Well then we'll, we'll be done. This has been awesome. John. This has been John's post-life crisis. Thanks for listening. Go Big Red. And thank you, Dr. Coffee, for joining me for this episode about biomechanics. Great. Thanks for having me.